welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Hello. Thank you for joining us for the Friday, August 26, 2022 reading of the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. On today's program, How to Spot Medical Gaslighting from the New York Times and the truth about skin spots from Consumer Reports on Health. Plus, why you couldn't sleep last night from AARP Bulletin. And more time permitting. Here's our first report. Feeling dismissed? How to spot medical gaslighting and what to do about it. Experts share tips on advocating for yourself in a healthcare setting. By Christina Karen from the New York Times. Christina, who lives in Portland, Maine, said she felt ignored by doctors for years. When she was 50 pounds heavier, her providers sometimes blamed her body size when she discussed her health concerns. One instance occurred weeks after she had fallen off her bike. My elbow was still hurting, said Christina, who's 39, and asked that her last name be withheld when discussing her medical history. I went to my regular primary care doctor, and she just sort of hand-waved it off as well, you're overweight, and it's putting stress on your joints, she said. Eventually, Christina visited an urgent care center where providers performed an x-ray and found she had chipped a bone in her arm. The experience of having one's concerns dismissed by a medical provider, often referred to as medical gaslighting, can happen to anyone. A recent New York Times article on the topic received more than 2,800 comments, Some recounted misdiagnoses that nearly cost them their lives or the delayed treatment, leading to unnecessary suffering. Patients with long COVID wrote about how they felt ignored by the doctors they turned to for help. Lately, the problem has been drawing attention in both the medical community and the general public for disproportionately affecting women, people of color, geriatric patients, and LGBTQ people. For example, studies have found that women are more likely than men to be misdiagnosed with certain conditions, like heart disease and autoimmune disorders, and they often wait longer for a diagnosis. And one group of researchers discovered that doctors were more likely to use negative descriptors like noncompliant or agitated in black patients' health records than in those of white patients, a practice that could lead to healthcare disparities. Gaslighting is real. It happens all the time. Patients, and especially women, need to be aware of it, said Jennifer H. Miras, a professor of cardiology at the Donald and Barbara Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell and co-author of the book Heart Smarter for Women. Here are some tips on how to advocate for yourself in a medical setting. What are the signs of gaslighting? Gaslighting can be subtle and isn't always easy to spot. When seeking medical care, experts recommend watching for the following red flags. Your provider continually interrupts you, doesn't allow you to elaborate, and doesn't appear to be an engaged listener. Your provider minimizes or downplays your symptoms, for example, questioning whether you have pain. Your provider refuses to discuss your symptoms. Your provider will not order key imaging or lab work to rule out or confirm a diagnosis. You feel that your provider is being rude, condescending, or belittling. 
Your symptoms are blamed on mental illness, but you are not provided with a mental health referral or screened for such illness. I always tell my patients that they are the expert of their body, said Dr. Nicole Mitchell, the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the Obstetrics and Gynecology Department at the Keck School of Medicine of the University of Southern California. We work together to figure out what's happening and what we can do about it. It really should be a shared decision-making, she said. What can you do to advocate for yourself? Keep detailed notes and records. Dr. Mitchell recommended keeping a journal where you log as many details as possible about your symptoms. Her suggested prompts include, what are your symptoms? When do you feel those symptoms? Do you notice any triggers? If you have pain, what does it feel like? Does it wax and wane, or is it constant? What days do you notice this pain, she said. In addition to your notes, keep records of all of your lab results, imaging, medications, and family medical history. It is analogous to seeing your accountant at tax time, Dr. Mieres said. You certainly do not show up without receipts, she said. Ask questions, then ask some more. Prepare a list of questions that you would like to ask ahead of your appointment and be prepared to ask other questions as new information is presented. If you aren't sure where to start, Dr. Mitchell recommended asking your doctor this. If you were me, what questions would you ask right now? Bring a support person. Sometimes it can help to have a trusted friend or relative accompany you, particularly when discussing a treatment plan or difficult medical issue. When people are ill, scared, or anxious, it can facilitate brain freeze, Dr. Mieres said. We stop thinking. We don't hear adequately. We don't process information, she said. Speak with your support person to clarify their role and discuss your expectations, she added. Do you want them to take notes and be a second set of ears? Or do you primarily need them there for emotional support? Are there times where you might prefer that your friend or relative leave the room so that you can discuss private matters? Focus on your most pressing issue. Providers are often short on time, and the average primary care exam is only 18 minutes long, according to a study published in 2021. Dr. Mures recommended taking 10 minutes before your appointment to jot down bullet points that concisely outline the reason for your visit so that you can communicate with your doctor efficiently. Pin down next steps. Ideally, you should leave your appointment feeling reassured. Tell your provider that you would like to understand three things. The best guess as to what is happening, plans for diagnosing or ruling out different possibilities, and treatment options depending on what is found. If you're still being ignored, what are your options? Switch providers. A study using data from 2006 and 2007 estimated that approximately 12 million adults were misdiagnosed in the United States every year and about half of those errors could be harmful. If you are concerned that your symptoms are not being addressed, you are entitled to seek a second opinion, a third, or even a fourth. But in many cases, that may be easier said than done. It's not always quick or simple to find another specialist who takes your insurance and has immediate appointments available. If possible, try to get an in-network referral from your current doctor. For example, you can say, Thank you for your time, but I would really like to seek another opinion on this. 
could you refer me to another specialist in your area? If you don't feel comfortable asking your doctor for a referral, you can also speak with a patient liaison or nurse manager. Alternatively, you can ask friends and family or call your insurance company to find someone in network. Reframe the conversation. If you decide to stick with your current provider, but that person doesn't appear to be listening, Dr. Mieres recommended that patients try redirecting the conversation by saying something like, let's hit the pause button here because we have a disconnect. You're not hearing what I'm saying. Let me start again. Or alternatively, I've been having these symptoms for three months. Can you help me find what is wrong? What can we do to figure this out together? Look to support groups. There are support groups for a multitude of conditions that may provide useful resources and information. Tammy Burdick, who was diagnosed in 2017 with granulomatous mastitis, a rare, chronic, inflammatory breast disease, found help from an online support group for women with the same condition. Initially, she was referred to an infectious disease specialist who dismissed a breast biopsy found to contain bacteria. I developed horrible, painful abscesses that would open and drain on their own, Ms. Burdick, age 44, said. In her search for answers, she conducted extensive research on the disease. And from the support group, she learned of a gene sequencing test that could identify potential pathogens. Ms. Burdick asked her surgical oncologist to order the test and discovered she had been infected with a specific microorganism associated with granulomatous mastitis and recurrent breast abscesses. It took seven months of investigating, but she finally had an answer. To help other women, she self-published a book about her experience in collaboration with her oncologist. If the infectious disease specialist had looked further into it, she continued, perhaps I could have started antibiotics right away, then and there, and never have required surgery, she said. Appeal to a higher authority. If you are being treated in a hospital setting, you can contact the patient advocacy staff who may be able to assist. You might also address the problem with your doctor's supervisor. Finally, if you are dissatisfied with the care that you are receiving, Dr. Mitchell said, you may consider reporting your experience to the Federation of State Medical Boards. Any instances of abuse, manipulation, gaslighting, delaying diagnoses, those are reportable events that providers need to know about, Dr. Mitchell said. Doctors need to be held accountable, she said. Up next, the truth about skin spots. How to know what's probably not worrisome and what might be. From Consumer Reports on Health. Do you keep tabs on every spot on your skin? That's unlikely because you may have a variety, including moles, skin tags, and age spots. Still, it's wise to have a sense of what may signal something potentially more serious. And those who have had skin cancer or are at high risk for it need to be especially watchful. Skin cancer is much more common as we get older, thanks to having more years of sun exposure, says Rebecca Hartman, MD, MPH, Director of Melanoma Epidemiology at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. While most skin cancers aren't deadly, the average age when melanoma, the most potentially lethal skin cancer, is diagnosed is 65, and the risk keeps rising from there, according to the American Cancer Society. These steps can help you keep an eye on your skin 
and know when to have your doctor take a look. A simple spot check. Having some skin spots is normal, and you'll probably develop more harmless ones as the years pass. Many dermatologists recommend monthly self-skin checks. Use a mirror to view all areas of your body to see if anything looks different. Don't be dismissive of a new or changing spot, even if you have lots of other benign spots, says Joel L. Cohen, M.D., director of About Skin Dermatology and Derm Surgery in the Denver area. Hartman recommends the ugly duckling method for checking skin. Benign lesions typically all kind of look like each other, so look for the ugly duckling, the one that stands out as different from the rest of your spots, she says. That can mean, for instance, a spot that's multicolored or asymmetrical or is growing larger or has irregularly shaped borders. Also, watch for anything that's bleeding, crusting, or painful. If it has only been a week or two, that's probably okay, Hartman says. But if a spot or bump you thought was probably just a pimple, bug bite, or scrape hasn't healed after a few weeks, that's a potential red flag. When to see a doctor. If you have any doubt about what you've noticed, have the area examined by a dermatologist. It can be very difficult to tell on your own if it's something concerning or just more of the same, Cohen says. A dermatologist, a doctor trained in skin conditions, will use a dermatoscope to magnify pigment details and other changes. Because skin cancer is the most common cancer in the U.S., the Skin Cancer Foundation advises annual full-body skin checks. Other groups, such as the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, currently don't recommend this for everyone. But if you have one or more risk factors for skin cancer, such as fair skin, blonde or red hair, a history of sunburns, or a personal or family history of skin cancer, you should get checked every six months, Cohen says. Some dermatologists offer virtual appointments. That might be okay for a first look, but if you have a suspicious spot, your doctor will still need to see you in the clinic to truly diagnose it, Hartman says. If your doctor suspects skin cancer, he or she will likely biopsy some cells to determine whether or not they're cancerous. Sunscreen smarts. Sun protection is important throughout life. Many skin cancers are the result of cumulative sun exposure, says Joel L. Cohen, MD. If you spend unprotected time in the sun, the UV rays continue to cause damage to the skin and mutations to the DNA that can lead to skin cancer. Seek shade when outside, and when you can't, wear sun-protective clothing and a wide-brimmed hat, and use a broad-spectrum sunscreen with an SPF of 30 or higher. Up next, why you couldn't sleep last night. Yes, slumber is becoming more difficult. Here's what to do, by Nicole Payer from AARP Bulletin. The deadly pandemic, raging wildfires, deep political divisions, it's no wonder so many of us are struggling to sleep. Almost 40% of people in 13 countries have reported sleep issues since the pandemic began, according to research in the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine. It's normal to wake up at night, especially as you age, but negative news can activate your mind and make it hard to fall back asleep, says Sarah Benjamin, MD, a clinical associate and instructor of neurology at the Johns Hopkins Center for Sleep and Wellness. 
Even if you're not up late fretting about climate change or Britney Spears' estate, sleeping can be a struggle. By age 60, we tend to wake up more, snooze for shorter periods, and get less deep sleep than younger people. Simple steps such as setting the thermostat between 60 and 67 degrees at night and turning off screens 30 minutes before bedtime can help, as can these easy snooze boosters. 1. Test your pillow. If you bought your pillow in 2020, guess what? It's already old. The National Sleep Foundation recommends replacing pillows every one to two years. Think your old pillow still has some life? Try this test. Put your arm out straight and lay the pillow across it. If it looks like a pair of old saddlebags, it's time for a new one, says Michael J. Bruis, a clinical psychologist and sleep specialist in Los Angeles. A pillow past its prime can cause neck and shoulder pain and restless sleep. When your brain is sending pain signals, it can't send sleep signals at the same time, Breas explains. To buy the right pillow, determine your sleep style. If you sleep on your back, look for a thinner pillow made of supportive foam. If you sleep on your side, you'll want a thicker pillow. Number two, get an hour of sunlight each day. Morning sunlight is important for good sleep. It turns off the melatonin faucet in your brain, which helps relieve that groggy morning feeling, Brea says. It also sets a mental timer to produce melatonin that evening. To get more rays, aim for 15 to 30 minutes of direct light in the a.m., ideally without sunglasses. Next, take two 15-minute outdoor breaks during the day. The light cues your brain that it's time to be awake and prevents you from producing melatonin before bedtime. When you're inside, pull up the shades. In one study, office workers who worked near windows tended to sleep longer and better. Number three. Skip salty snacks before bed. Want to reduce those annoying nighttime trips to the bathroom? Cut back on peanuts and potato chips. In a Japanese study, researchers followed more than 300 patients with high-salt diets and sleep issues for 12 weeks. When people cut down on salt, their average bathroom trips decreased from twice a night to once, and those who consumed more salt woke up more frequently to pee. The urge to urinate late at night, known as nocturnal, can also make it harder to fall back to sleep, leading to fatigue, increased napping, and even depression, says Rafael Paleo, MD, a clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the Stanford Center for Sleep Sciences and Medicine and author of How to Sleep. Number four, tackle your troubles before dinner. If you need a Judge Judy-style airing of grievances with your spouse, don't wait until nighttime. Arguments and tough discussions are less likely to disrupt your slumber if you initiate them earlier rather than later. Right before dinner is a good time to work things out, says Ashley Mason, an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of California, San Francisco. If you start an argument after dinner, your quarreling can continue till bedtime. That's a problem because arguments can activate your sympathetic nervous system, which can disturb sleep. Going to bed angry may even make you surly the next morning. During sleep, the brain reorganizes how it stores negative memories, making them harder to suppress, research suggests. Number five, don't watch host before bedtime. 
What is Host? Just the scariest movie of all time, according to the Science of Scare Projects, a UK experiment to determine the world's most terrifying flick. In this study, Host, a 2020 film about a demonic spirit unleashed during a seance, raised viewers' heart rates by 24 beats per minute, up from an average resting rate of 64 beats per minute. Some viewers even reached 130 beats per minute. Your heart rate should be a mellow 60 to 100 beats per minute at bedtime, and any intense thriller, whether it's Squid Game or a Stephen King novel, can cause it to rise. Your heart rate normally lowers during sleep, Mason says. If you get revved up before bed and increase your heart rate, that can make it harder to get to sleep. Up next, question of the month from Consumer Reports on Health. And this is in question and answer format. Question, are salt substitutes a good way to lower blood pressure? Answer, reducing sodium in your diet can help manage or prevent high blood pressure, but a salt substitute isn't necessarily the best method, says Stephen Nissen, MD, Chief Academic Officer of the Heart Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Most contain potassium chloride, which can raise your blood potassium levels too much. Instead, cut back on processed and restaurant food, which supply 71% of the sodium in American diets, and eat more fruit, veggies, whole grains, nuts, and beans. If you're still interested in a salt substitute, talk to your doctor about the pros and cons. Question, do teas that are supposed to help you sleep really work? Answer, Herbal sleep aids often contain botanicals, chamomile, lemon balm, and or passionflower, which are shown to increase calmness, says Shannon Smith-Stevens, DNP, assistant professor of nursing at Kentucky's Moorhead State University. They help some people sleep. Try sipping a cup about an hour before bed, giving you time to urinate so you aren't awakened later, needing to go to the bathroom. Don't combine with other sleep remedies. That could leave you drowsy the next day. And think twice about valerian, which has stronger sedative effects and may interact with medications. Question. I'm injured and can't walk. Can I exercise effectively in a chair? Answer. Moves that work arms, torso, and legs can help you maintain flexibility, fitness, and strength, even if you can't stand up says Summer B. Cook, Ph.D., Exercise Science Program Coordinator at the University of New Hampshire in Durham. Try marching in place while seated, lifting your knees high and feet off the floor. Work calves by lifting your toes with your heels down, then flex your toes to the floor while lifting your heels up. Work thighs by straightening one leg and lifting it off the floor, and then the other. Use small hand weights for bicep curls. Do 10 reps of each and repeat the routine two or three times a day. Up next, ASMR from Parade.com. The second most searched term on YouTube, ASMR, Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, is the relaxing sensation that some people experience as a result of sensory triggers, such as tapping, mic scratching, crinkly sounds, or turning pages of a book. This phenomenon has captivated the Internet, and according to recent research from the University of Essex, those who love ASMR also tend to be more in tune with their surroundings and feelings and can benefit from the relaxing, 
low frequency experience. Also from Parade, draw the drapes. Don't let the moonlight or streetlights infiltrate your room at night, say Northwestern University sleep researchers. They found that even small amounts of light exposure from TVs and lamps, too, while you snooze, can activate your nervous system, which elevates your heart rate, not good while you're trying to sleep, and can even disrupt your metabolism. Thank you for joining us for the Human Health Program. My name is Emily Crocker. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.